Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. That were the words, we don't want to finish in the Champions League. But every time it was going wrong, we just kept turning around and blaming the coaches. He literally gets what he wants and whatever he says goes. Um, and we ended up getting relegated that year, which I think was down to you know what was in that dressing room at the time. Well, it was really Sky that put an end to that. They may not have handled it very well. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Technolwood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off as we have recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the Best Equality in Social Sports Podcast. That's enough for me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TWS Sports Podcast. We have got a slightly different episode for you today. So this week, March 27th to April the 2nd, is World Autism Acceptance Week. Seven days dedicated to celebrate autistic people while improving autism understanding and acceptance in a wider society. If you're neurotypical, it can be difficult to comprehend what it means to be autistic and you may be confused by maybe terminology surrounding autism. To help you understand more about World Autism Acceptance Week and autism itself, the TWS Sports Podcast have put together a great episode just for you, where we have spoken to autistic individuals, parents of autistic children, professionals and teachers working within the world of autism. So we've had some really, really good conversations with autistic individuals, parents of autistic children, um, teachers and professionals working within uh, the world of autism. There will be a part one and a part two of this episode because it's we've spoke to so many people and it's, it's too much put into one episode. So the episode will be released on Saturday the 1st of April and Sunday the 2nd of April to celebrate the end of World Autism Acceptance Week. And before we begin, I just wanted to explain a little bit about what autism is, because I'm aware that some of our listeners may not understand what autism is, or may never have come across a person who is autistic. So autism is is simply a neurotype, um, a way of describing how an individual's brain is wired. An autistic person's brain may process information differently, and autism influences how autistic people interact with the world and, and those within it. Autism is something that you're born with. Many see that autism as a fundamental part of who they are. It's not an illness or disease. It doesn't need to be cured. Some autistic people face significant challenges daily and perhaps require one-to-one support 24-7, while others can navigate life independently with accommodations in place at school or work and at home. So let's get on with the episode. So this is part one. Part two will be released tomorrow and we hope you really enjoy this episode and thank you so much for continuing to listen to the podcast and support our students and support our school and help us raise awareness and acceptance of autism. So thank you so much for staying with us on this journey and hope you enjoy the episodes. Hi Sarah, thank you so much for talking to us today. You have four children but we want to talk to you about your twins. Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about them? How old are they and what are their personalities like? Okay, so I have uh, twins, a boy and a girl, Blaze and Nathaniel. Uh, We call them B and Nate. Um, They are now 18. 
also at sixth form. Uh, Personalities wise, Nate is obsessed with anything to do with electric, electric cars, uh, electric um, trains, um, recycling. And he's actually doing so well. He's actually currently working at a couple of places with um, sixth form on placement. And he is doing um, upcycling of furniture. Uh, he also sort of chops wood and um, does kindling, that sort of thing. Um, they have a showroom where they show all the pieces. On the pieces, they put the names of the students. And he thoroughly enjoys that. He's also really into horticulture. So he works at one of the National Trust properties, uh, Barrington Hall. Um, and he does uh, placement there. Um, and also he works sometimes at a gym. Uh, he's very keen on his fitness, Adam. You'll be pleased to hear. <laughs> very good. Being a former student of, uh, of Adam's. But um, yes, he does um, He does a, a day a week at the gym and he also goes to the gym regularly. I'd say he's got a very fun and vibrant personality. Um, he's a, got a very can-do attitude. He's always willing to help and uh, do whatever it, it takes sort of to, to help out with the family. Um he loves to be responsible for his own self, uh, for choosing his own clothes, um, money, that sort of thing. So, yeah, with assistance, obviously, in the right areas, um, he is um, and has changed so much. And I'm so proud of him. He's a wonderful, wonderful boy. Um, and then on the contrary to that, obviously, you have um, siblings and sometimes you think, oh, with autism, maybe you bring everybody up the same way. But no, very different. Blaze is very um, calm and quiet. Um, she didn't always used to be. She used to really struggle, but now she's in a very, very good place. She does baking for a, a local cafe. Um, she serves at the cafe. Um, she works with um, a local team doing home crafts. So um, lots of weaving and building bird boxes and that kind of thing. Um, and a huge love of animals. We now have four dogs. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, dog walking therapy, anything like that you want to call it. Um, yeah, she's got a massive love for for um, for pets and just um, like really happy, loves watching water, loves swimming, um, just anything that's kind of really therapeutic she likes. Um, music's a massive driver and also Disney. So, yeah, that's another one. So we have like so many different things and that's just like touching on probably the, the top layer. Yeah. There's so many other things as well that we all love doing together as a family and they like doing on their own too. Um, I want to take you back to when Blaze and Nate were very young. When did you realise that they may be slightly different to the children of the same age? Yeah, okay. So obviously having twins, that brings in a different dynamic anyway so for me I just thought I was busy to start with um but it soon became clear because I had Madison um their sister um a month before the twins second birthday so for me that was when I realized there was something very very different in um the way that the, the birth was and everything thereafter and things that I had noticed that were very different really early on so for me it was like quite a quick thing and we actually had um the twins uh, assessed really quickly and they were diagnosed before they were two and a half 
And did you realize so obviously that children can be different? Did you did you realize it in Blaze first or Nate first, or was it both the same or? Um, it was some of the things like the um, gazing, so like just looking one way and just like staring at things and also like reflux and their general well-being, I think, although they were they were prem um, and they were incubated and we were in intensive care for a while. But just sort of any like little thing just seemed to be a lot harder to do I mean parenting is difficult anyway but just it was always enhanced there was always kind of like when they went for their injections there was just like a massive um problem then for about 24 hours where they would just be really ill and sick and it was just very extreme situations to what you would normally have to deal with you know obviously there's always exceptions but especially when you've got two and, the t- and it's happening to two it kind of it's not just like a one-off thing you know so um and then it was just milestones you know all the eating the drinking the reflux um the sleeping you know all the things that um I found with Madison to be very easy to deal and cope with um I found very challenging with the twins uh when Blaze and Nate started primary school what was that like for them uh, uh, as and you as a parent? Okay, so because of the early diagnosis, we were living in Stratford-upon-Avon at the time, and there's a school called Welcome Hills, and they actually had a preschool division. So they started going from a very young age. Um, so as soon as their diagnosis came through, they had started. Um, so for them, going from um, their preschool into school was a nicer transition I would imagine than if you were perhaps still trying to get a diagnosis and going into mainstream school and that sort of thing um they are profoundly autistic both of them um but they've come such a long way so you know for any parent out there that kind of um I remember early days sort of having people say they won't do this they won't do that you know please don't listen because everybody has their own path you don't know you can't predict the future and just always stay positive and you know just try and enjoy every section of the journey it will be different from mainstream but it's not to say that it, it's not going to be a nice experience because I've had lots of lovely experiences all through school. Uh, when did do you first think about moving Blaze and Nate into a special school and what was that process like for you? Yeah, um, well, again, I think because the diagnosis was done early, they were both done at the same time and it was profound. So there was no question that they could go into um, a mainstream setting with their level of needs. So for me, um, I just sort of got to know people in the community through going to the preschool um, and sort of we created our own little little hubble group or whatever um, we'd go for breakfast together we'd talk we'd have coffee mornings we'd go for walks together so we really um created that sense of um you know our own little community um and because you've got very understanding parents there um and luckily my really good core friends they all have stuck with me you know all the way through so i think having good friendship groups having you know um friendships within the community that you're in like at the school and that sort of thing are all really really uh, positive 
and helpful things because I think when you've got that and you feel good as a parent where you're going that helps the children because your confidence sort of comes through yeah definitely and as a parent um obviously with, with four children your um parenting would be different for for Blaze and Nate in terms of schooling you would have met with a lot more your teachers a lot more professionals doctors nurses physiotherapists possibly how do you find as a parent um, that side of things and having EHCPs because I imagine for your other children you, you might meet the teacher at parents evening and that might, is probably it whereas for Blaze and yeah. Nate you meet a lot more professionals yeah you're right Adam I mean definitely uh, in a mainstream setting uh, it's pretty much you know you just follow what they need and, and they're good to go and yes you do meet the teachers and they might have a couple of events on in the year um, it is very intense with special needs. There's loads of forms to fill out. There's lots of people to contact, doctors, GPs. Um, like you say, physio, Blaze has recently had an operation to remove a lump that she had on the back of her head. She had a hernia when she was 12 weeks old. That was also sorted. Nate had uh, various problems and had little spells in hospital. Um, so, yeah, it is intense. I mean, even now with them being in sixth form, EHCPs are currently being done as well for their next steps into um, uh, being in the community more um, and out of kind of that sort of school Monday to Friday setting. So it is really intense. Again, what I've learned is, again, you have to take care of yourself because it, I mean, I know there are kids and, uh, you know, there's so much to do all the time, but if I can just pass on one message, being a parent that's gone through it and not looked after myself, definitely you need to make sure you have time to have your, you know, little bit of a break so that you can deal with these things when they come up because they are intense. It is every week. There isn't a week that doesn't go by that I haven't got something to do for the twins, calls, messages, social services, whatever it might be. So it's a very high intense level of care that, you know, people generally don't realise you have to go through. Um, what is the best thing about having autistic children? They're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they are, they're, just such, they're such lovely people because they don't have that mean chip. Yeah. Where they, they actually look at things in such a pure and lovely way uh, and it's a delight to be around them and to embrace their way of thinking. So I would say I'm probably the luckiest mom on the planet. <laughs> No, no, definitely, definitely agree with you. That's made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the most challenging thing about having autistic children? Yeah, we flipped the question for you now. <laughs> yeah, I think other people. <laughs> you know, uh, people who are a bit unkind and, you know, when you're out and about, uh, you have to get a bit of a thick skin. Um, but that takes time. Uh, especially if you're a nice person yourself. So um, there will be things that happen. There will be things that other people don't understand, um, don't appreciate your parenting techniques or whatever it may be. But I think what you have to stand true to is being completely yourself, understanding that it doesn't matter what other people think, it's about you and your kids. And you just got to uh, take it on the chin a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um can you talk to us a little bit about your other two children 
How do you think it has been for them growing up with two autistic siblings? Um, I think it's been a wonderful and difficult journey for them. Um, I think Madison, especially because she is two years younger than the twins, obviously she takes the lead role a lot of the time with regards to where Blaze and Nate would probably be helping a little bit more. Um, but I think for her, it's been because I was very poorly for a really long period of time, actually literally just had another operation on my bowels which seem to be my problem area so um it's meant that it takes me away from the kids for a little bit sometimes so um for maddie it's been that realization of things are different but again she's learned as time's gone on that it's like a really positive thing to be in a, in this environment even though it's challenging and it's difficult and it's tiring um it gives you something that literally i don't know it's like it is life-changing completely so she's very happy she's got a good sense of self she's probably a lot more mature than um children her age um and she's just really kind they're all like really kind like when we're out and about you know you can spot people who have or are on the spectrum very easily we go to lots of different events it's just made them more open-minded so it's really nice and also all her friends you know that she's got it sort of expanded all their knowledge on knowing more about you know families and how families live with disabilities and that sort of thing but I'd say she's pretty like happy um yeah she is and right. little Warwick he's um he's 11 and he has some of his own challenges. He's had some like memory delay diagnoses as well, uh, possibly on the autistic spectrum. But um, socially, he can get by, and his sort of uh, his memory is getting better, and that sort of thing. So he's in a mainstream setting, always has been, and um, he loves his brother and sister. I mean, Nate and him are very techy. They play a lot of games together, and I think that's quite nice because eleven and eighteen may not have played. No. together yeah. perhaps normal family um if i can say that um but that sort of a setting but they they're very close all the children are really close and um i think also for warwick it's made him sort of sit very empathetic like his teachers say things like oh well when he's in the class setting he'll make sure everybody's okay and if someone's struggling he identifies it straight away so he's very much um that kind of a soul you know that wants to get involved and help people which I think is a really nice trait to have so um I think overall it's yeah it's all worked out <laughs> brilliant no it's definitely I definitely agree with you from people I know who have siblings who are autistic it's definitely they empathize a lot better and um have a good understanding of of autism and special needs in general so no i completely agree yeah. um last few questions when talk about social situations i know you yeah. as a family do lots you take blaze and nate out a lot yeah do you have to think about maybe where you're going in advance and what do you have to put in place to support blaze and nate if they're going somewhere for the first time Okay, so um, I've been and always have done a bit more of a gung-ho approach to everything, to be honest. So um, from very early days, um, I know that they can get very set on which way they go to things and 
you know, uh, the road you take and they like things to be in a certain way. So I always kind of challenge that, but in a manageable way. So um, I started to do things like I didn't go just to special needs viewings at cinemas. I went to where everybody goes and um, just really put myself out there with the family and just really just did stuff you know, go to the cafes, go to the restaurants, don't be frightened of, you know, trying things. And it doesn't always go well. We've been in restaurants and blazers thrown up all over the table, uh, you know, or something's gone wrong or someone's been crying or screaming fit or whatever, but we've just persisted and just carried on, never been defeated. You can always take a black bag in your thing and somebody <laughs> wipes. It's amazing what you can do with those. Um you know, and we just stuck with it. And because we have and challenged what people, you know, would accept, I suppose, it's it has made a difference for us because they are adaptable. They can cope with change. Um, we can eat in restaurants. You know, it's like you just have to really same with like when you've got a toddler, just keep doing stuff, keep yeah. doing it till and it just might take a bit longer. Like I'm talking like right into it's sort of early teens. And then like now it's very, very different kettle of fish and what we can do and that sort of thing. But also just to know that it's OK not to do the same as everybody else as well. So if a ball pit park is stressful and you don't want to do it, I used to go for walks all the time with them. Um, you know, obviously where possible with people and what the, what they're able to do. But um, you know, fresh air, get, going somewhere, just pulling up, parking somewhere, getting out, looking at the sea, whatever it is, just um, persistence is key. Yes, definitely, I agree. Um, we've got two more questions, Sarah. Okay. Often some autistic parents sometimes feel isolated because of a lack of support from family, schools and society. How have you found the support from your family and society and how and what do you think could be done to make it better for parents um okay so yes i have felt very isolated yes i've lost a lot of friends who um when they started having children and i'd got mine mine were acting very differently so didn't fit in with what they thought was okay so i have lost friends um Family, I think that's always a difficult one because I think you always think that that's going to be a given that your family are going to help and support, but it's not always the case. I think often it's strangers, new friends, you know, people in the um, sort of autism community that kind of understand and get you more. Um, and it's when that when you've got that kind of understanding that you can be yourself and open up. Um, I just say keep talking that's really important uh therapy that helped me <laughs> um, I've, I've had lots of uh like therapy sessions over the years you know and the doctors do provide those sort of things so you can get those free you don't have to necessarily um have a big expense with these things but there is help out there uh autism helpline i always find really good um but yeah you will go through lots of things you will feel isolated you'll feel absolutely terrible you'll sit in your car and cry many a time I'm sure um that is part of the journey but what it gives you is such a sense of what actually is important in life and you get to that point probably a lot quicker than 
um if you were just having uh, an easier ride of it <laughs> but yeah, yeah it it definitely is just like try not to worry too much about the people that fall on the wayside there's a reason why they're not around you and just try and always surround yourself with really positive people that do help you and uh, you know want to see you win as a family I think that's that's the main thing thank you so much for chatting to us today Sarah it has been great to hear your thoughts and feelings about autism thank you oh, you're most welcome and thank you so much for having me I feel very privileged to be asked so I appreciate it thank you so I'd like to welcome a special guest on the podcast, Kian. Welcome, Kian. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. How are you? Brilliant. Yes, I'm very good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. So, um, so I, me and you know each other, Kian, don't we? So we go a little while back and um, we know each other through cricket. We, I used to coach you cricket about 10 years ago now. It's been quite a while, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it was over 10 years ago. I think it was um, a long time. Yeah, it was um, down at Cardiff. So, um, yeah, we know each other a little bit, which would be nice. It's nice to reconnect with you and and speak to you again. So, um, you're autistic, Ian. Can you, do you remember when you got diagnosed with autism and how that felt for you? Do you remember that or were you too young? No, I remember it. I had um, kind of a bit of a meltdown. I played, I played cricket. Um, and I had a bit of a meltdown, um, and um, it was kind of people around me sort of said, um, "I need to get well, I, I, you know, I need to to get checked," and because I, it was a really difficult time um, where I, where I had a bit of a meltdown, I didn't know where I was, and I just had a panic attack and things like that, you know, and um, and then uh, yeah, I was diagnosed. Um, and, it's it's hard, you know it's it's never something you know at the time I was thinking you know what's wrong with me um, why why do I find certain things hard um, why you know why haven't I got a normal mind why why am I different to other people um, but um, the longer it became you know and I try and, I could try and look at it positively now brilliant and do you remember how old you were at the time. Uh, I think I was nine or ten, something like that. Nine or ten, okay. And how did I, it I feel? Think, yeah. When you got the diagnosis of autism, was it a relief, or were you, did it did it help you understand why you were feeling certain things? Yeah, it, it did. It, it kind of, you know, it kind of made made me think. Right, okay, you know. Um, there are certain things that you find hard, um, and you know it's it's not, you know it's it's okay now. I guess it kind of opened my eyes a little bit and said, you know, this is who you are, and you can't change who you are. You know, rather than worrying and thinking, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why do I struggle with that? Um, it kind of um, yeah, it just made me think. You know, it kind of at the time it was hard, but the long the longer I've had time to process it, um, it made me think. You know that I'm doing okay, that I'm okay, and I and I I've got what I have. Amazing. Um, and and there's a reason for it, rather yeah. than thinking, oh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I can't do this. I can't do that. 
you know, now I know. Yeah. Or I've known for a long time. It's kind of easier to deal with it rather than just worrying yeah. about things. You know? Yeah, definitely brilliant. That's, that's, I'm really glad that's given you given you um, that help. Um, I want to chat about sport mainly because I know you're a massive sports fan. You're a big cricket fan. You're a big football fan. Um, it's probably a, a nice day for you on the back of um, a good Chelsea victory last night. Yeah, I'm, I'm not used to that <laughs> lately. Uh, no. <laughs> um, nowadays, I just when we score a goal, it's like, wow, we scored a goal. Never <laughs> um, <laughs> mind the winning part. But, yeah, uh, it hasn't been the greatest yeah, season yeah. for Chelsea, but hey, they've made it through the Champions League, so hopefully you never know. But I want to chat to you about sport. How important is, is sport for you? Um, I mean, sport, you know, I can honestly say um, without sport, I don't think I would be alive. I think it's, it's that important. Um, particularly when obviously when COVID came along um, I, I remember you know obviously I couldn't go to the gym I couldn't which I loved doing on the weekends I couldn't go to, I couldn't play cricket I couldn't you know I couldn't do a lot so jogging every day um, which was my sort of release um, as well um, really helped me because like everyone I, I really struggled with you know, if if I can't run around or I can't do do sports, you know, or play cricket, then my mood drops quite drastically. And you know, I've been, you know, I've had instances where I tried to sort of harm myself and things like that because I haven't been able to cope. You know, with um, like like with COVID and lockdown, I couldn't cope, and I couldn't cope with not doing any any sport. So when I play sport, it's kind of um, or play cricket as well mainly and I used to play football for the Welsh LD team um, when I did all of that it was my release and it made me feel happy and my mind was positive um, and it was like a different side of me you know whereas when lockdown came along and suddenly we had to stay at home it was like I can't do this I can't do this and my, and my mood dropped so sport is absolutely everything to me um, particularly playing cricket now and and even on the weekend, if I don't have cricket training, sort of, you know, at the gym and having a run, um, is really beneficial. Not necessarily for physical health, um, but for sort of mental health, because I know if I don't do it, my mood will drop. So it's it's vital to me. Sport is. Yeah, brilliant. you right. Sport provides such good mental health. It's such a good. Um keeps your mind busy and it gives you something to focus on in the week when you're building up to that game on the weekend. Um, no, I think sport, you're right, sport's such a good thing, phys- both physically and mentally. Um, how do you find, because one of the stereotypical traits of autism is finding social situations quite challenging, finding building friendships and relationships quite difficult. How do you find that? Because you're, you're heavily involved in team sport. Do you sometimes find a team sport difficult or how do you cope with that? How do you manage that? I I do because I mean I, I'm I'm lucky because with the disability cricket uh, Welsh cricket team um, I've got you know a few years ago I would you know like in, in when we went to play in Sri Lanka um, I had a meltdown up there because I couldn't cope with the change and I had a very supportive I still have a very supportive coach who kind of was like my counselor almost and he understood. You know, and a few of the boys, uh, a few of my teammates understood. Whereas, 
it, during my meltdown in Sri Lanka, I got up and shouted at one of the players, and he didn't understand. And um, that was kind of the start of like, everyone needs to know, you know, uh, about it, and everyone needs to under, try and understand. And my, and my coach, you know, always says um, after each innings when I play cricket, good or bad, I'm going to have five minutes on my own. Um, to calm down because you know even though I, I play with a team obviously if one of my the fielders has dropped a patch off my bowling I will go absolutely ballistic <laughs> but I and I can't control the ang I can't control the anger um, so I'm kind of lucky now because I have um, I have really particularly in the disability world and my local club as well you know they're very understanding but I, I avoid social um social events where you know they, they go to the pub and or, or they go um you know there's awards evenings and things like that i normally avoid them because i get scared with lots of people around even though they know me and i can't deal with it and i can't deal with the um with the really loud noise and the really yeah i can't it's sad, you know, it's hard for me to accept it, but um, yeah, I, I can't. If, if I feel uncomfortable, you know, then I'll, then I'll avoid those situations. And, you know, even though I play, obviously, uh, cricket a lot, um, you know, the, the amount of times, again, people have had to calm me down and but I've had to go at certain players for not feeling well enough or for not, you know. Um, I've got, a, I'm very lucky. Um, with I said my local club is um, disability inclusive, which is really important. And I'd like yeah. every club, I'd like every club to be disability inclusive, because it it means that there's an understanding there, and and you have people who are trained, I guess, at, at dealing with certain issues and certain conditions. Um, so I'm I'm very lucky, but I still find, particularly off the pitch, things really challenging. Um, on, yeah. on the pitch, I try and focus on myself um, and doing the best I can. Um, well, that's brilliant, and I, I follow you a lot on social media, and I've, I've seen the amazing things that you get up to, and amazing um, sports and things. You know, I watch a lot of your clips you put up on of, of cricket last season, and it's amazing to see how how you are getting on. And it's so lovely to see the journey you've gone on from the time I knew you 10, 11, 12 years ago to. The fantastic young man and, and the cricketer you are today—it's it's really nice to see. So keep going, and you're doing an amazing job. I know you do a lot of work in schools now, and you do a lot of cricket coaching. And it's you're an inspiration to so many people and so many young boys and girls who look up to you on a daily basis and see the the difficulties and challenges you you have gone through in, in your life, but how you've overcome them and how you're have a very positive outlook on life and a very positive outlook on yourself and sport. Um, so yeah, keep being the amazing role model that you are. And it's, it's fantastic to see you doing so well, mate. Yeah, no, thank you. You know, I, I'll always, uh, I'll always try my best. Um, I'll always give everything. Um, and um, I try and inspire children with disabilities and with not just autism, other conditions um, to try and believe in yourself. Um, because technically I shouldn't be near cricket ball if I followed the so-called, you know, so-called rules, you know, of, of disabilities, you know, I shouldn't really be near cricket. But um, I try and, you know, I try and 
yeah, I want to try and inspire lots of children and and lots of children who think who think, oh, I've got autism, or I've got you know, I've got dyspraxia, or I've got whatever condition it is. Um, and I try and inspire them to say, yes, you can be, you know, try and be you. Um, you know, you can't change who you are. Be proud of it and and work hard, and you can get you can get places despite having autism and other things. No, that's amazing, man. It's absolutely incredible. Um, also, I know you enjoy watching sport. Um, so you go and watch Morgan quite a lot. Um, do you go and watch yeah. Chelsea or do you watch watch football? Yeah, like I again, stadium environments. Yeah, I find challenging. Yeah, that's what I'd like to ask. How do you find the live events, the big crowds, and how do you no, cope with that? And what what things you put in place to support yourself? Well, recently, obviously, I went to Australia and I got to see a, a match um, at the MCG uh, in Melbourne. Now that was quite quite good. I cope with that better because it's a big stadium and there were lots and lots of people, you know. But I still, you know, when when the music was on, I still had to. I had uh, headphones with me, which I don't really listen to music on. They're kind of just to help me with noise. So I put them on. But the other things I do is obviously um, I try and um, make sure that I'm sort of calm, you know, calm enough. If, if I'm if I'm stressing, then um, I'm not going to I'm not going to go in that situation. That's what I try and do. So I try and first of all make sure I'm calm before I go. And then if I go, my things are um, that I I try and go to something that you know, like like the MCG, where it's a big stadium and the people numbers are small. So I wouldn't really go to Stamford Bridge because Stamford Bridge is a, normally it's a smaller stadium and it's normally full. So I would try and avoid those situations. Whereas obviously Glamorgan, I love watching Glamorgan, and I know quite a few of the players. In, in the Glamorgan team and um, Glamorgan sadly because I'd like to say it was full all the time <laughs> it's not it's, it's not full and I tend to you know I tend if I do go I tend to to go maybe if I've got time because obviously I work in school um, sort of to a, a four day match where it's a bit quieter whereas I went to a hundred match uh, two years ago and I found that hard because again it was noisy and there were lots of people there. Yeah. So I, I, I try and, it's hard, but I try and pick and choose which situation I'm going to put myself through. And if I don't, if I think, right, it's going to be a full house at Sapphire Gardens, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. There's, there's too many people. Whereas if I'm confident, like if, if I've got time and it's on a Saturday and there's no cricket in the cricket season, you know, whatever reason, um, or uh, a day off from school, um, then I'll go and watch Cromwell in a four-day game and support the boys that way. Brilliant. It's, it's amazing that you have a, a confident in yourself and you have a good understanding of what situations you can cope with and, and not cope with and also while pushing yourself because I know a lot of people listening to the podcast would be amazed that you independently went to Australia. That's a yeah. huge thing for any anyone, whether they're autistic or not autistic. Um. Were you scared, or how did you feel before? Because I, I know you've been to quite a few countries on, on your own. How did that make you feel on like on the flight and things like that, especially to Australia, which is a huge flight? I've got to be honest. I didn't think I would go. 
Um, you know, even even when I went, my because my flight was very early and I had a hotel in Gatwick. Even then, I was thinking, am I really going to get on this plane? Because once I found, when I went to Australia, is I had, I still had one or two people um, uh, from the, the travel company who were there who could support me. So I wasn't completely on my own, that makes sense. That's I was on my own, but I wasn't on my own. Yeah. And um, I still had um, people there, you know, and then on the cruise, so I had a cruise around New Zealand, and there were a few people who very, very gently, there was one person who very, very gently came up to me and said, are you, are you autistic? And he, he knew about it, you know. And um, so I had a few people checking up on me every day just to make sure, you know. And I, I did try and interact. It was hard, particularly, obviously, New, Year, New Year's Eve and the loud music, and I panicked then. Um, but luckily, I had people to support me there. Um, but the hardest bit for me was probably the flight because... I could not sit still and it was really hard and people say you know go to sleep or watch watch tv that's not me <laughs> you yeah know. on a flight you can't do anything about it can you, you can't do anything no. and you know if the door was open i would have jumped out because at once i could just about cope with the six hours to to dubai but then four hours later my head said well you've got another 13 hours now <laughs> <laughs> and that was the bit that was really sort of um, that was the bit that was killing me was yeah. the, you know because I thought right I've got to Dubai six hours I did well but now I've got another 13 hours and it was I, I was struggling and unfortunately on the flight obviously if I had someone there with me they could have maybe helped me and, and but you know there was a lovely air, air hostess person who, who did help me um, along, along the flight, but it was, it was. So what I had to do was obviously routine for me is everything. So every hour, I couldn't sleep, so it was pointless. Um, so every hour, I made sure I got up and I did some stretching at the back of the plane. Um, and I did that yeah every hour for ten minutes, and that was my routine uh, to get me through. So I had to have a routine. Um. But it was still, I've got to be honest, it was still, and yeah. my head was saying, I don't want to do this again, I can't do this again. But then once I got to Australia and I discovered how lovely it was, I got a bit overwhelmed when I went to Auckland. So I was, I was in Auckland and I got a bit overwhelmed there, which resulted in, in me getting on the boat a lot earlier than maybe I planned to, because it was it was too much to take in. Yeah. Even though even though Sydney was is still a big city, Auckland, I found, was, was a lot more, there were a lot more noises and a lot more things, whereas Sydney's a bit more open open out. So there's a, so you even though it's big, you feel there's a lot more room and um, there's obviously a lot of water in, in, in Sydney and it's a bit more relaxing, whereas Auckland, okay. I, found, I found, with the noises and everything, a lot more stressful. That's amazing, and I so I saw your things on you, on social media. It's incredible the things that you went to see and the things that you did. So, their life experiences and memories that all stay with you forever. So, no, it's amazing that you you went, and I'm kind of jealous. Cause I'd love to go to Australia. It looks a beautiful country. 
it is, and the people are so helpful there, and yeah, it's, it's lovely. Um, last question, Keen, if that's okay. And you've mentioned it a little bit in our conversation regarding mental health and suicidal thoughts and attempting suicide at, at times. Um, how do you find understanding your emotions and when you're in the really deep, dark kind of depths of, of COVID and, and social anxiety and sensory overload and things like that, how do you cope and how do you always pull yourself out of the dark, dark times in your life? Um, I've got to be honest, you know, with really dark times, um, obviously, you know, I lost my mum three years ago. Um, I had to, for the first time, I had to try and, because when my mother was alive, you know, she, she would know something was wrong just by looking at me. And the amount of times she came back and she would help me through those dark moments, you know, with with taking medica- more medication, you know, and thinking I've had enough, I can't do this. So the amount of times we've gone to A&E um, and, you know, the doctors told me I was not far away from being in big trouble. You know, um, it's just because I'm tall, I could cope with the amount of medication, etc. Um, but obviously, you know, when I lost my mother, I had to say I need help. I, I had to, you know, some of my cricket friends came came around and or people that I know in cricket came around and and helped me. But I had to I had to have a lot of help with sort of um, counselors as well, um, which isn't easy again because I don't always find it easy to to tell people how I'm feeling. Um, I had to have sort of psychologists as well help me tremendously, you know, by giving me different things, um, by see, seeing different people um, to help me because otherwise I would not have been able to cope. But at the same time, I've also had to understand myself better. And, you know, I know for me, sport is the big thing that will get me out of that mood. You know, so even after Chelsea lost, you know, when Chelsea lose, which is regularly these days, <laughs> I used to, I used to get, I used to throw things out the window when Chelsea lost the match. Um, whereas now, um, understanding myself better, I know I'll get angry and I know I'll get upset still. But then what I do is I obviously go to the gym and run faster on the treadmill. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that really helps. You know, that's kind of, I did, yeah, I just guess I, I kind of understand my body a bit better. I understand my mind. Um, and I've had to sort of grow up, if that makes sense. In, a, yeah. in the past few years, I've had to, I used to rely on my mother to help me through things. No, I think it's, well, it's, it's incredible to see the journey you've come on and you talk so openly and honestly about mental health and asking for help. And I think so many men especially young men don't ask for help i know there's probably times where i should have asked for help or, or i should have spoken to my family members more and i haven't because i've kept things bottled up and to hear you t- talking to people and speaking to your friends and speaking to professionals when you understand that you're feeling down and feeling upset is is a huge credit to you because so many men especially wouldn't do that and it's well i mean I, doing that. I kind of had to you know because the, the next day after my mum died I, I i used to coach in bristol cricket coach in Bristol and the next day I, I went to, to coach in Bristol um, and then when I came back I didn't want to come home and the police had to come and find me um, so my stepfather was very worried 
I didn't want to come home because I didn't want to face what had happened. And and you know I had to I had to face it and um, yeah you know um, I had to. I had to because otherwise I was not going to live. I didn't want to. I didn't want to live. You know, my mother was everything, and and COVID, as I said, you know, the COVID lockdowns were so hard. You know, particularly if you if you've got autism and you need a routine and you need, you know, I couldn't go to work. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do a lot. Um, um, yeah, without without these, without saying I need help, otherwise I'm not going to be around very much longer. I had, I had to, you know, when you when you have to do something, you have to do it. Otherwise, you yeah. know, I had my I had my mum's voice saying in in my head saying you're not gonna you're not you you need to you're not gonna just go away and and let you let let your life go away. Yeah, you've got to you've got to live. Yeah, I think you say you have to do it, but again, lots of people don't and 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 don't do it and sadly do commit suicide or, or do not ask for help and it, it's it's a, a credit to you that you you've felt confident enough and you understand your body and your f- emotions enough to do that so it's it's kind of congratulate you in a way for doing that because lots of people people wouldn't um kian i'm gonna wrap it up there thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us it's been incredible speaking to you and seeing your journey after knowing you for so long and, and following you on social media and, and seeing your journey and your all your sport and all your travels around the world. Um, you're a huge inspiration, again, to so many. I so say you work in a school, you coach a lot of, lot of kids. It's You're a huge inspiration to many. So congratulations on that and, and keep up the amazing work. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. It's lovely to see you again. And hopefully, obviously, by uh, people listening to this, um, I, I can uh, yeah, inspire people to to love being who, who they are. Join us today on the TWS Sports Podcast as an actor, comedian, TV presenter and sports fan. Let the paddy meet the beginners. You have three autistic children. As a parent, when would you say you first saw a difference in your children compared to other children of similar age? Um, <clears throat> well, look, you, you three know better than anyone else all about that. And, and you'll know that everyone's different, aren't they? And everyone, everyone has different things they do at different ages. So the real thing for us with the twins when they were first born, Leo and Penelope, not so much with Felicity because we'd already had Leo and Penelope then, so we knew things. But not knowing anything at all about autism at all, we, we weren't aware of the things to sort of uh, look out for or think, oh, that's a little bit different to how someone else would do things and, you know, a different way of looking at things. We never knew any of that. And and I, when they were about three, because they, they, they were both, uh, they both uh, non-verbal, they didn't speak until they were kind of around about five. And... Uh, um, we took them to a nursery in Bolton to, to see about putting them in there. And at the time, all the kids were sat around the table with a little knives and forks and cups, and they were having their dinner and drinking and eating and all that. And I remember saying to me, why are we going, God, these kids are advanced here. I can't believe they're doing all this. But it wasn't anything, it, that's what, what should have been doing for that age at that time, you see. But we didn't know that because we, we, we didn't know anyone else who had young children. So 
that was like, oh, well, uh, why are our children not doing that like that? So that was the first thing where we started thinking about stuff. And then little things happen. And like you say, with the speech, it wasn't, it didn't come on as quickly as it would have done with another child. So that's, that's how we sort of come to notice the development wasn't the same as other children at their age. And then obviously we went and we had a, um, we, we seen a paediatrician and, and they went in and they assessed everything and we got, we got the diagnosis. And then as soon as we got that diagnosis, <clears throat> it was the best thing ever for us because we understood it then and we knew what was going on. So we were so, even though it's, it's a bit of a one of them moments, you go, oh, God, right, okay, God, I've never heard of this, this uh, autism. I've never heard of uh, anything about it apart from what I've seen on films, which is most of the time complete nonsense. Um, so we had to learn a lot about it and, and find out more about it and understand how our children, uh, what makes them happy, what doesn't make them happy. And now, you know, they're absolutely flying at school. They're doing, you know, Penelope's the top of her class with her results. Leo's doing amazing. You know, the speech is, is, is really good. You know, all the stuff and we were talking before about the, the uh, little Nintendo lights and all, all the gaming stuff they have. They can play it. They understand it. I, I, if I pick up any of them gaming systems now, I struggle turning them on, never mind playing them. <laughs> so they're learning me stuff as well now. And uh, even with stuff they look at on YouTube and what have you. But but I love it. I love having three children with autism because they teach me so, so much about the world that I wouldn't necessarily see. I wouldn't understand it the way they, they do. And I love seeing their point of view on things. And I love understanding it more. And also as well, I kind of think if every everyone on earth was autistic, the world, we, well, we wouldn't be in, we wouldn't have problems. We wouldn't have wars and all this carry on and, you know, and, and, and everyone arguing all the time and not getting along with each other. The world would be definitely a better place. So I consider myself very lucky having three children with autism and being around them all the time because they make me better as well in my everyday life. Can I, can I ask you two a question while I've got here? Is that yeah, okay? Sure. Sure. So, hang on, let me get a little drink of my coffee. So, <clears throat> with, with your autism, did your mums and dads tell you that at a certain age? Or mm. did you just, were you aware of it yourself? Or how did it uh, come about? I'll answer it first. So, basically, from my childhood, I always felt like I was different. Um, especially because a lot of problems throughout my childhood with my autism. I used to have really big anger issues, but it's kind of like decreased, but it used to be worse in my childhood because I didn't know how to control my anger. And I used to get like very agitated, especially with maths, because maths has been like my weak point all my life. I still struggle to this day and I try to revise as, as possible. But um, I got told that I was on the autistic spectrum later in my childhood. So I always get the year wrong, but I didn't find out until like late primary school. Right. Maybe like I, year five or six. Like I, I didn't know. So then, yeah, my parents ended up telling me, but I found out late. So I didn't realise I was autistic. And when you found out, did you, 
was it like, oh, well, at least we used to get angry at things, like you say, when maths, did you kind of think, oh, well, thank the Lord, now I know why I'm getting angry, and it helped you to deal with that better. Yeah, and in a sense, and then, so it's kind of half like a shock, because throughout, throughout my childhood as well, it kind of like, it was both, I, I always say it's about my autumn to this day, having autumn is both a burden and a blessing, because um, like, I also, because I used to have like very, lots of problems in my childhood to do with also other pupils, because some of them like bullies, and then it was really hard for me in my childhood because I, I at some point, which I regret doing, I actually became a bully for a short time because how people acted was kind of narcissistic. So like sometimes yeah. I didn't want to do it. And then they kept on forcing me to do things. And no matter what I did, there was always consequences. So yeah. it really affected my mental health. And um, so, yeah, and then that's why I've always got used to kind of actually appreciating I had autism over over the years, really. I bet it's... it's, it's, it's... Now, when you think, right, we're all here chatting on this podcast and the stuff you're all doing now, when you think about the moments from your childhood, it's, it's, it's like a million miles away, isn't it, to where you are now, which is a really amazing thing, you know, to be doing this from what you were just saying then about bullying and then being on the other side of that and being angry with things and understanding things or not understanding things to now doing something like this. And getting on with your life, you know, for me as a parent, that's uh, amazing to hear. Thank you. I think men, when they think about having children, they'll have this idea in their head about what the son or daughter will be like. And if it isn't exactly like that, men can have this habit of feeling a bit like, oh, God, why can't we do this together and why can't we do that together and that kind of stress and that kind of thinking which is the wrong way to think can get you down so I'd say accept your children for who they are and learn from your children you know what I mean let them teach you stuff because they're right there you're living with them you love each other and they're the best people to do that for you so I I, I wouldn't get et up about oh, my son's not a fantastic footballer or, you know, my daughter doesn't want to do this in life or that in life, you know. It, just accept them for who they are, really. I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Paddy. We really enjoyed speaking with you and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, lads. It's been an absolute pleasure. Appreciate it. Cheers, lads. Thanks very much. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.